Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster Dean Linky. Uniting coaches at every level of the game, around the love of the game, we are United Soccer Coaches. Now, here's our host, Dean Linky. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Dean Linky, delighted to be with you for this special Thanksgiving edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap. And for sure, I'm thankful for each and every one of you and thankful for the great United Soccer Coaches and certainly thankful for all four of our guests. We get started with Amanda Mitchell, does an amazing job with development for United Soccer Coaches and the United Soccer Coaches Foundation. She is passionate and she's passionate about Giving Tuesday, which is December 3rd. And United Soccer Coaches is a great outlet for all of us. Please pay attention to Amanda Mitchell's message. Following her, an honor to spend time with Wayne Coffey, an accomplished author. He was a writer for New York Daily News for more than 30 years, covered a ton of Olympics, ton of World Cups. He's written more than 30 books, including a couple soccer books, including When They're Not Watching about Carly Lloyd, arguably one of the best to ever wear a USA uniform for the U.S. Women's World Cup. He wrote the story about Carly Lloyd with Carly Lloyd. And now he's got a daughter starring at Penn State after two great years at Boston College. Sam Coffey is the real deal. Heck, she could win the Mac Herman Trophy next year, you don't know, but she is that good. We also have Jack Mayer, the Big Ten Defender of the Year, a surefire All-American for Indiana. They've gone to -to back-to-back college cups. Last year, Jack was the freshman of the year for the Big Ten. This year, he's the Big Ten Defender of the Year, and Indiana will take on UC Santa Barbara on Sunday, 12 noon on the Big Ten Network. We'll hear from Jack Mayer. And we'll also hear from the 20-year top man of UC Santa Barbara, Tim Vomsteeg. He's not afraid to mix it up. He is a true character of the college game, a guy who is also passionate, like all of my guests. And you'll like Tim Vomsteeg as he gets set for UCSB to be in Bloomington on Sunday, 12 noon. I hope you'll join me for the call on the Big Ten Network. And I hope each and every one of you have a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving weekend with so much to be thankful for so much to be grateful for. We start with Amanda Mitchell after this message from our presenting sponsor, TeamSnap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With TeamSnap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with TeamSnap. Go to TeamSnap.com slash NSCAA1. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by TeamSnap. If you've listened to this show and it looks like you're listening. The numbers are great. We thank you so much. You know that uh, one of my favorites is Amanda Mitchell, the development officer for United Soccer Coaches. She's plug and play, as I like to say, somebody that's passionate about what she's doing, knows what she's talking about, and gets things done. And she's here to talk about Giving Tuesday, which will be on December 3rd. Amanda, happy Thanksgiving, and thanks for being on the program. Dean, happy Thanksgiving to you, and always great to be here. Yeah, well, let's first uh, get the important thing out of the way. Obviously, I'm kidding because there's nothing more important than Giving Tuesday, but I know you're a big IU soccer fan, and Indiana's rolling on. 
I actually was able to give you a little shout-out this weekend, Amanda, while you were watching. So the Hoosiers are unbelievable. They lose everybody, and yet they're right back in the Sweet 16. You know, somehow those Yeglies, uh, especially Todd, doing great stuff, but that hat trick this last Sunday by Bezerra was pretty was pretty fun to watch. I was cheering all the way from Kansas City, so I'm sure they heard me. Uh, the bazooka from Bezerra. That may stick, by the way, Amanda. That kid is uh, pretty good. So with that out of the way, we truly do get to the important stuff, and I'm talking super important because we're talking about Giving Tuesday. It's on December 3rd, and it, it allows our coaches to give back to it, a charitable donation to our, quote, good of the game initiative, Amanda. And we're so glad you're on to tell everybody about it, how they can give, why it's important. Take it away. December 3rd, Giving Tuesday, which is an international day of giving that is celebrated by nonprofit charitable organizations across the world. And so United Soccer Coaches Foundation is once again excited to be a part of that. And this year, all donations made on December 3rd will be going to our For the Good of the Game initiative, which is our initiative where we say we want to hear from coaches and organizations and we want you to tell us your greatest need and how we can help support you. So I know we've talked in the past about some of our other foundation scholarship and grant opportunities, education, host the course convention. This is something that is completely separate and a separate application for those that, again, 100% of the money we raise for this initiative goes back to coaches and back into communities and back to organizations that are serving serving our players and serving our athletes. And so, again, on December 3rd, you want to participate in this very worthwhile cause and make a tax-deductible charitable organization to United Soccer Coaches Foundation, we would greatly appreciate it. Additionally, if you want to make that a donation, you will go to coachesgive.org slash good of the game. And that link is live as of right now. Here with Amanda Mitchell, Development Officer. And so many times we talk about good of the game and for the good of the game and we use it in different terms, but in this case, it really is for the good of the game. Talk about uh, how this initiative got started, the good of the game, and, and when it got started and who's been behind it. Yeah, so this uh, initiative started about a year ago around this time. I was sitting with our wonderful Jeff Van Dusen, and we were we were talking about additional ways United Soccer Coaches Foundation can can create impact. And we were we were having that brainstorming session, and out of that session came this for the good of the game initiative. Last year, we were able to fund four projects one that went to growing an after-school soccer program for middle schoolers in the Carolinas. And so a coach said, you know, if I was able to get $1,000, I will be able to employ more coaches and create more impact for athletes. And additionally, we also had some equipment that was requested that we were able to, to gift through this initiative. So, again, it, it kind of is this unique program where we don't want to funnel coaches and organizations into a box. We really want to – literally have you paint the picture for us of how, if you had up to $1,000, how United Soccer Coaches Foundation could help you make a difference in your communities. I apologize for being too much of a romantic, but when you think about Thanksgiving, we have so much to be thankful for right now, particularly those of us that uh, get to do what we love to do. I know I love what I'm doing, and I always feel like, Amanda, you love what you're doing. So because of that, it feels like it's even a better time to think about December 3rd and Giving Tuesday because with so much to be thankful for, isn't that a pretty good time to give back? Oh, Dean, absolutely. And that is really why we kind of launched the website already. So if you're sitting in your office or if you're prepping for a game, if you're sitting at home with your family enjoying this podcast and really reflecting on what 
you're thankful for in your life and you think, you know what, United Soccer Coaches and the education I receive and attending convention has meant so much to me and my career and my family, and you decide that would be a place you would like to give back, you know, if you don't want to wait till December 3rd, the link is live now. It'll go towards our Giving Tuesday total. If you're someone that says, if I wait, I'll forget or I, you know, won't get it done because I have, you know, a thousand other things going on, we totally understand. And so, again, the coachesgive.org backslash good of the game is live right now. You can make a donation today. Right, I think it's worth saying that website one more time, Amanda, and say it nice and slow and clear so everybody can get it, write it down, and then go give. That's what we're trying to do here. Absolutely. So it is coachesgive.org backslash good of the game. All right, Amanda. How about some other things as uh, we've talked about earlier yet, Thanksgiving, where you're supposed to slow down, take some naps, have a big meal, but, you know, you're still building up for the convention. The college services program is still cranking along. So no rest for the weary as we got to keep charging on, charging on, right? Absolutely. We are very excited to see everyone that's joining us in Baltimore. We're also excited to see and watch here in the office, and I know a bunch of us watch all the time at home, what's happening across the college landscape, as well as it was fun seeing high school seasons wrap up. So, again, we're really proud of the coaches we get to serve and and work on behalf of, and, and you all are the reason we come in every day and show up every day, and we're happy to do it for you. Finally, Amanda, as the development officer for United Soccer Coaches, you also stay connected to the United Soccer Coaches Foundation, which you've already said. And it just seems like, uh, again, between Thanksgiving and Hanukkah and Christmas, we can be more reflective. But when you look back and think about the amount of money that's raised to help coaches all over the country, not just on Giving Tuesday, but all the time with United Soccer Coaches Foundation, the scholarships for coaches that need it to be able to get to the convention and on and on. Tell us in your own words how it makes you feel, Amanda. You know, I sit in this very wonderful position within the organization where I get to speak to generous donors that want to impact the game on a daily basis, and then I also get to facilitate conversations and opportunity with coaches and organizations that need the support the most. And, you know, that is something I'm really thankful for is that I get to, again, speak to people that say, I want to help the future of coaching, and I want to do it in partnership with the United Soccer Coaches Foundation, one, because they trust us as an organization to do great philanthropic work with their charitable dollars, and then, again, being able to turn that into to impact and, and, again, speak to our awardees on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, stay connected with them and see how, you know, something – it can seem so simple as, you know, an, an opportunity to go to their first convention or to attend their first advanced education and receive that first diploma – but the long-term impact that that can have on these coaches is, is indescribable. Always a heartfelt yet exquisite answer. Amanda Mitchell, I always enjoy your positivity. I enjoy the way you follow the game, the way you help the game, and you're welcome on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast anytime, especially when you're talking about important things like Giving Tuesday. So with that, Amanda, one more time, that website so people can, in fact, give now or by Tuesday, December 3rd. Yes, it is coachesgive.org backslash good of the game. And like Dean said, it is live as of this moment, um, but also through December 3rd. So we would love for anyone who wants to participate to, to take advantage of this opportunity to give back to the game. Amanda Mitchell, you're good for the game. Thanks for being on the show.
Thanks, Dean, and happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Okay, everybody, as Amanda said, make sure you give before giving Tuesday, December 3rd. We're just getting rolling. Up next, Wayne Coffey, longtime writer for the New York Daily News. He has written 30 books, five of them New York Times bestsellers, and he wrote a great book about Carly Lloyd. When they're not watching her incredible work ethic, and Wayne Coffey is also the father of three great kids, including Samantha Coffey, an All-American at Boston College. Now playing for Penn State, the Nittany Lions. She is arguably one of the best midfielders in the country. And Wayne Coffey is her dad. Great author. All about it. All about his kids. Wayne Coffey, when we return. Registration is now open for the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. Make your plans to join us January 15th through the 19th for five days of coaching education, networking, meal and social functions, award presentations, and more. Register before December 11th to secure the best rate. Visit UnitedSoccerCoachesConvention.org to learn more. The United Soccer Coaches Convention, your event for all things coaching. Let me tell you, folks, Wayne Coffey has done a lot of great things. A 30-plus year career at the New York Daily News. He is now a full-time author. He's written 30 books on multiple sports. But, of course, he wrote the book featuring Carly Lloyd when nobody was watching. And tying it all back to my opening comments, his daughter, I think, might be the best player in college soccer. And as you know, I get a pretty good seat to watch a lot of soccer, including right in Chapel Hill, watching Anson Dorrance and his great team. But Sam Coffey, the superstar for Penn State, Samantha, goes by Sam. They finally were eliminated by Stanford, but caught a lot of her games, including the Big Ten Tournament Championship game. Got to know her. She told me about Wayne. Wayne and I know a lot of the same people. And I was like, Wayne, i got to get you on. And here he is. Happy Thanksgiving, Wayne Coffey. you got a lot to be thankful for, my man. I certainly do, Dean. It's happy Thanksgiving to you, and uh, thanks for having me on the on the podcast. Yeah, delighted to have you. And first off, I will tell you. And, and ironically, I did a game, uh, Indiana's soccer game on Sunday as they advanced to the Sweet 16. And I was talking about Jack Mayer, where when I was done talking to him, I told my wife I wasn't sure which one was the 50 year old, him or me, because he's so mature. And I say that because I felt the same way when I had the opportunity to interview your daughter. And she told me the story about you and her brother and sister who are also involved in sports. And I was, like, mesmerized that she carries herself like she's a 50-year-old, right? Not the other way around. Uh, but I carry myself like a little kid, you know. And I was like, kid and candy store talking to her. you got to be super proud of her. A couple years at BC where she lit it up, and she was outstanding this year at Penn State. Oh, well, thank you for your kind words, uh, Dean. She's... Uh yeah, she she teaches uh, my wife and I on a on a daily basis about how to carry yourself and how to how to pursue your dreams and um, as the Penn State uh, program likes to say how to um, how to empty the tank every day and and she just she feels very uh, very blessed to be on the journey she's on and and really as a parent it's as great a blessing as you can have we've got three wonderful kids and they're all they're all going for it they're all terrific young people and um you know samantha's uh, journey at penn state has just been uh really from the time she started playing at four years old and it's just been an absolute joy and you know and i of, of all the things i think we're thankful for beyond her her health and overall well-being dean it's that it's that she has 
found a way to hold on to the joy and the passion for the game right from the start. It's, it's never – she loves it more now than she did when she was a little kid. And, and it's such a – it's such a precious thing when you when you love what you do with with such such fervor and such intensity and she just thinks every every time she goes out on the field and gets to kick a ball she's the luckiest person on earth well she loves what she does but she also loves what you do and she loves that her sister is covering the open A's for the athletics she loves that her brother is an aspiring broadcaster getting it done out in texas somewhere and she loves uh, her Penske family but she loves her coffee family even more and the fact that you've written five books that are on the New York Times bestseller, 30 books overall. You've covered all these World Cups and Olympics. And i got to believe, as we're going to go back now to kind of figure out how you decided to do when nobody was watching, i got to believe her meeting Carly Lloyd at a pretty young age didn't hurt her own desire, right? So walk us through that whole process when Sam met Carly and when you decided after meeting James Galanis and talking to Carly – how that book came together, Wayne? Sure. Well, I I had actually covered uh, a, a good measure, a good part of Carly's career with the U.S. national team. With the, I was at the uh, 2012 Olympics in London, and of course she uh, lit it up there, as is her wont when uh, the big moments arrive. So after her heroics in the World Cup final in Canada in 2015, we, with a hat trick against Japan, she she was the um, almost instantly the the most famous uh, women's soccer player in the world. And then of course uh, publishers started to take note and say, "Wow, maybe Carly wants to write her life story." So she uh, sat down with different publishers and they got themselves a deal. And then it was time to uh, go shopping for a writer. As I understand it. There were a handful of people who were, I'm sure there were a lot of people who were interested, but they interviewed and talked to a number of people. And I had, I had known James Galanis a bit because I'd interviewed him about Carly, and we had a good relationship. And the fact that while I'm not a soccer expert, I do have a daughter who's playing, and her you know her dream in, in life is to, is to kind of, in a sense, follow in Carly's footsteps and, and go that whole route. So we sat down, and we it felt like a great fit, and, and it really was a great fit. I loved working with Carly on it, and she's Carly wakes up every day and takes truth serum. You know, it's um, she's just uh, ferociously honest and straightforward, and, and that that makes for a great book. I mean, if people who don't know her story, and I think there's a great lesson here, Dean, for for every young player and every parent. You know, the the road to the top and success is not you know it's it's not just a, a, a straight up trajectory. You know, there's a lot of bumps, even for the greatest players in the world. And here, Carly Lloyd is a two-time winner of the Golden Boot and she's the greatest player in the world and when she was 20 or 21 years old her coach on the U.S. national team told her straight to her face you are not national team material you're not good enough you're not fit enough you're not a good enough teammate I mean right up and down the line and that is when Carly and James really went to work and I mean, think about it. Here she's told she she was actually contemplating quitting soccer. Well, um, they said I'm not good enough, so time to go home. You know, it's really it, it, it's trite, but it's true, Dean. That the in every walk of life, I mean, the real the real measure of someone.
someone's character, I think, is is how they respond when they, you know, when they get their butt kicked and when they're told they're not good enough and and they can't do it and they'll never be this and they'll never be that. Just think it's so admirable to be able to just power through that, to not let it define you, and to just keep uh, keep emptying the tank. Well, and so when nobody was watching, she was working with James Galanis and. She was working hard, right, Wayne? I mean, she was doing things that nobody else was doing. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I mean there are a lot of hard workers in this world, but nobody was out working hard. She made, a, she made a point of always, so we got, you know, Thanksgiving coming up and Christmas. She'd always train on those days because she told herself, you know, nobody else is probably doing this today. Well, you know what? I'm going to go out and do it. You know, I'm going to go, you know, run, you know, five miles at dawn. I'm going to go out with James and, you know, start doing, you know, working in the cones and, you know, working on working on side volleys and, you know, in a freezing rain in South Jersey when it's, you know, 34 degrees. It's, you know, it's really that kind of unstinting effort that that it takes. And again, it is. It's very much when nobody's watching. That is when greatness. Is achieved. It's not. It's not at the College Cup. It's not at the MLS final. It's not in the World Cup final. It's the real grunt work is what makes for great champions. So after you start writing the book and you get the deal done and you already had this history because you'd cover them anyway, so you were able to kind of witness it, you know, as it was happening. And you had that front row seat, as I often like to say, is I got the best seat in the house. You had the best seat in the house. When did you finally get to introduce her to your talented daughter, Sam? Yeah, so um, Carly was training with James one uh, winter day in 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 South Jersey. They had uh, they called it the Blue Barn, which is uh, you know not a not a fancy place uh, at all, but it, it was where basically Carly and James had the key to it to come and go whenever they wanted. And and I'd mentioned to her, you know, I'd like to if you're okay with it, I'd love to bring Samantha to a training session and and. Um, and she said, you know, sure. I mean, she sounds like she's really passionate about it. I guess, I guess Sam was um, 14 or 15, but she had already started to do some things and, and was on, um, I think she had just made her first, um, her first U.S. national team. She was, she was very late to that whole, to that whole orbit, which is another, to, to me, another great lesson. You know, don't, if, if you're not considered the anointed one or the best this or that when you're when you're U12 or U13 or U14, don't worry about it. Don't let it define you. Just keep working. So by the time Samantha showed up on on U.S. youth national teams, everyone was say like, "Where did this kid come from?" So she was maybe again maybe 16 or so, uh, and we drove down to um, South Jersey from our home in the Hudson Valley in New York, and and I didn't really I didn't want her to get to. Um, freaked out about it, you know, or get, you know, but I, I think her understanding was she was going to, because James, James Galanis had wanted to take a look at her. He'd heard about her and he just said, you know, let me, let me put her through the paces and, you know, I'll give you a sense of where I think she is, what she needs to work on. So it was all great. So we're down there early in the morning. It's, you know, it's 8 o'clock. Samantha's tying up her, tying up her indoor shoes and, you know, getting ready to go to work and in walks Carly Lloyd. I wish I had a photo of that moment, but then, for, you know, for the next hour, hour and a half, they trained together, and, you know, all these great drills that James designed, and, you know, it's not like they were doing 1v1, I'm not going to tell you my daughter schooled Carly Lloyd, but, you know what, she, in all the technical drills, she was, she was hanging right there with her, and it was, it was a wonderful thing to see, and a great, a great, just priceless experience for Samantha to, to see greatness up close. 
and to see the commitment that it takes up close. So that was a real treat. Yeah, I kind of call that in my world sort of worlds colliding with love, right? So it's your passion, you're writing books, and there's no bigger passion than your kids. And to be able to do that, write a book, and have your your talented daughter, Sam, exposed to arguably one of the greatest ever play the game, I mean, both for you and your wife, uh, I mean, the entire family, that has to be a tipping point of all tipping points, right, Wayne? Oh, yeah, no, that was that was an all-timer. And, and again, I mean, in part because of the work that I do, you know, I, I don't want to, no, it's not like I want to go up to people and say, hey, listen, you know, my kids are really good. You got to meet them. You got to do this. I try not to mm-hmm. to be obnoxious about it. But you know, if there's an opportunity, like, so my wife used to work with for the the children's publisher Scholastic. She was an editor of a magazine, and Scholastic has this program called the Kids Press Corps, where they they look for for young people who who like to write and like to interview people and. They give them a shirt and a, and a pencil and a pad, and they let them go interview people. And all three of our kids were part of the Scholastic Kids Press Corps, and they actually went to the 2006 Olympics in Torino, Italy, with the Scholastic Kids Press Corps. And that was where our son, actually, on the Today Show, he was interviewed on the Today Show, and he completely threw his father under the bus. The guy said, so do you want to follow in your father's footsteps? And he's, he basically said, so now print journalism is, is, you know, is dying, and, you know, I want to be a TV guy. So, But he was 10 years old, and he was adorable, so, uh, you know, he pulled it off. They were the youngest reporters in, in the Olympics. That was the whole, the whole thrust of the Today Show story, the youngest reporter yeah. at the Olympics. My point was, uh, when it, it, Samantha had a chance to be a kid reporter later, and she went to a Sky Blue game and got to interview Marta when she was 10. And my wife speaks Portuguese, so she translated. And um, so there you go. It's been quite a journey. We're here with Wayne Coffey, author of 30 books, five New York Times bestsellers, longtime writer for the New York Daily News. When did you finally leave the New York Daily News, Wayne? In um, 2015. Started in 85 and then went through uh, 2015. So pretty good three-decade run. It had a lot of adventures along the way. Tons of Olympics and World Cups, and as we were talking about uh, the George Vesties and Philip Hurses and Philip Bondies and Frank Delapas and all those guys, you know all those guys, right? Oh yeah, that, that was my that was my posse. Just tried to keep up with them. Pretty good posse that um, have witnessed some pretty big moments with the growth of soccer over the years, right? You think about going all the way back to '89 when the U.S. team for the men finally qualified for the World Cup in 40 years, and then. A year later, Anson and the gang won the first World Cup ever for women in 91, long before we realized it could be truly sustainable. From where you sit now, knowing that your daughter, who loves it so much, has a chance to make money playing the sport that she loves, it's uh, it's a pretty good world right now in women's soccer and men's soccer in this country, right? It's it's a great world, Dean, and and it's you know the women's game. I think it, it's it's really poised to explode. And listen, we all we all like money. I don't know many people who don't. And you know if she can make a a, a manageable living off of it, and that is certainly her her goal. But it's it, it's so uh, exciting and really exhilarating to see the growth of the women's game and the and the and the improvement in the women's game. The, the 
the, the, the technical skill. The, it just it just goes up every year. This is such an exciting time of year that to see the, the College Cup unfolding, and I mean, the road to the College Cup, and to see the the emergence of 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 greater and greater parity and just, you know, looking at schools where you maybe were not even on your radar and just watching watching the level of play uh just go um go through the roof is is just it's a tremendous thing and it's and it's so exciting and I think I think from an American perspective we we need to keep that going because I mean the US obviously did they defended their World Cup title and that was great but the but the rest of the world is catching up and they're catching up pretty fast and if you look at the at the technical skill of the players around the world the US has definitely got to you know keep the keep the foot on the uh, on the training gas that's for sure because it's but it's the bigger picture Dean to answer your question it's just tremendously exciting and and our our daughter Samantha just feels so excited to be where she is and and to be able to do what she loves to do talking about Sam Coffey the superstar first team all big 10 midfielder for the Penn State Nittany Lions after two great years at Boston College and as Wayne told you she has been recognized and part of U.S. youth national teams as well. I think she's good enough, uh, like, for instance, uh, Miss Fox for North Carolina to get a look uh, if she gets some NWSL time with the new national team coach. I think she's that good, but what do I know? Of those 30 books, when nobody was watching, is that your only soccer book, or do you have more soccer books? Well, actually, I did a, um, I did a children's soccer book years ago after the 99 World Cup. Samantha got to meet Brandy Chastain um, along the way too, and so after the U.S. won that, I did a, a I think it was called the Girls. Now, you may uh, don't it might take take you a week or a month or a year to find it, but I think it's called the Girls of American Soccer. Should be the Women of American Soccer, but and it was it was profiles of of the individual players, Mia Hamm and Christine Lilly and Julie Foudy, Brianna Scurry. Uh, Everyone, we we kind of went around the roster, and obviously there was a, a a heavy Chapel Hill flavor on that club, as there usually is. I did write that, but um, most of I've probably written mostly about baseball. I did books with um, uh, R. A. Dickey, the former major league pitcher and Cy Young award winner, and then uh, worked with Mariano Rivera on his memoir. Been a lot of fun, uh, a lot of fun moments along the way. Yeah, I get the feeling that Sam, uh, some of your baseball love has rubbed off on her because she was also pretty excited, not as excited about meeting Carly Lloyd, but she was pretty excited about meeting Mariana Rivera. Again, Carly, she ranked higher, but to be able to be at Mariano's house, she, she put that right up there, Wayne. Yeah, no, she uh, – a lot of people don't know this because he turned into the greatest relief pitcher of all time, but as a kid in Panama – Mariano's favorite sport was soccer, and he was a tremendous soccer player. And he had a really he had a really nasty head injury, and his mother was not too keen on him going back back on the field. But he's a, he's a massive soccer fan, and so uh, yeah, no, it was great. Samantha loved it. She loved all sports, but when I used to coach her. I stopped coaching her in soccer when she was about six or seven because I realized I was already out of my league. But um, I coached her in baseball, literally baseball, all the way through, and she was the only only girl in an all boys league. She was going after it in a pretty big way. So, knowing how proud you are of Sam, she's equally as 
proud of you and, and what you do. And, and as you mentioned, your wife, who used to be a writer, I know she does some different things now, but pretty neat, the whole connection. When you're writing a book, like you're writing one with Carly Lloyd, when nobody was watching, how long does it take you? What's the process? Can you walk us through that? Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it, it really depends on the publisher's timetable. And, you know, I've learned the hard way that, that deadlines, as, as uh, odious as they can sometimes be, they're also, they can, they can really work wonders in getting writers to stop messing around and just get the thing done. So, like with the Mariano Rivera book, they wanted it by opening day, and we didn't even start until November 1st. So they wanted the book out in April, which means they wanted it by January 1st. So I had to write that thing in seven weeks. It was uh, not the sanest seven weeks I've ever had because it's, you know, to put out 90,000 words in that time frame. Carly, we had a little more time. So the process really begins with just with interviewing, taping, bring my tape recorder, and off we go. And probably Carly and I spent, I don't know, 30, 40 50 hours together and then there were untold emails back and forth and and she was she was really um committed to it it writing a book is it's a hard process and it's a very detail oriented process and a lot of people really like the idea of writing a book but when they see how much work it is they kind of lose their interest and Carly never ever did she wanted this she wanted this to be the best possible book and to be an authentic and powerful and and an instructive and even inspirational book for for young players and that's why she was so honest she Carly sugarcoats nothing i don't have it in front of me but i think the first sentence in the whole book was uh, i don't do fake boy she does not do fake she's about as straight ahead as as anyone can be so every book is is different in the way that it unfolds dean but you know that's part of the part of the fun of it too it, it's you're kind of piecing together the puzzle in a different way every time so since we're on the united soccer coaches podcast presented by team snap and as we said you've written all these books but this soccer book when nobody was watching we know carly lloyd is a superstar we know she works super hard we now understand a little bit better the relationship between her and james galanis who actually got a head coaching job back in the day of uh, the atlanta beat i think that was the wps version of uh, what is now the nwsl was wsa that went away then wps mm -hmm. and that went away and now nwsl what else can people, when people say, hey, what's the biggest takeaway on top of the fact we know Carly works really hard, and uh, I guess you just added one, we know she's definitely not fake, but what else can you say about that experience and why people should read the book, particularly coaches that are listening right now, Wayne? You know, it, it's a great question, Dean. We could probably fill up, you know, a month or year's worth of podcasts with exploring this, but I just think... The message is, and I touched on it a little bit before, but just, you know, if, if things don't go your way, if you're cut, uh, if you're cut from a team, or you're not getting playing time, or, you know, someone tells you, as they told Carly, straight out, you're not, you are not national team material, just, just don't let it define you. You know, I, I really think perseverance and hard work is is pretty much the answer to everything in life. I would just try to hold on to that. You know, things when you have a, the, the, the honestly, Dean, the greatest growth 
moments and motivational moments in in Samantha's soccer career have been when she hit adversity. When she, I remember she was 12 years old and she wasn't named to uh, an ODP select team that was going to Costa Rica and like one of her best friends was and she was in, in, the, in the pool group all along and then the last day of the camp they announced the people who were going and this was just, this was um, a dagger to, the, to this kid's heart. And it, and it was heartbreaking to see. And, you know, I want to say, you know, at 11 o'clock that same night, we're downstairs in the basement, you know, doing volleys. It, <laughs> this is how she responded. And, it, and, it's, and it's, how you, it's how you have to respond. You know, and I just think you have to take a hard look at yourself and figure out what you need to do and then go to work and just try to stay positive because there, we all know there are a lot of negative forces in this world. And one of the greatest you know, Samantha had, had two tremendous years at BC, but being at Penn State, I have to say, has just been the greatest gift. That I, I think it's just one of the very best programs out there. Erica Dombach, Ann Cook, and Tim Wassel, her whole staff, the trainer, Andrew Thomas, who keeps these bodies healthy, the academic support people. It, it's just it's top notch all the way, and they just. They really try to nurture greatness and, and compete, and there's this culture of greatness, of, of wanting it. And that's really what, what Samantha was hungering for. You know, she wanted to be at a place where she was going against the great Kaylee Real, who may be the first defender drafted in the NWSL draft. She wanted to go against a player like Kaylee Real every day because she knew that's what it takes to get better. Wonderful experience for her academically, socially, athletically. In every way, I just cannot say enough about uh, Erica and the Penn State program. Oh, yeah, Erica's been on our program several times as she is a beloved member of the coaching fraternity slash sorority, whatever you want to call it. Uh, she is right up there at the top. In fact, I have said on the air that uh, I think she would have been the best choice, in fact, for the women's national team. But with two young daughters, it's not the right time, but I would not be surprised at all someday down the road when her daughters are a little bit older. She is the head coach of the U.S. team. We're here with Wayne Coffey, famous author, five New York Times bestsellers, written over 30 books, 30-plus years of New York Daily News, and now he's starting to become the uh, dad of Sam Coffey. He's not the author <laughs> of five New York Times bestsellers. And you talk about worlds colliding, I'm guessing – because you had that tough draw and you saw your daughter be the hero and come from behind and beat Arizona not once but but twice and then have to play the the you know team that's I mean just incredible in Stanford not really fair when you when you've got to do that uh, on short notice but I think your daughter's out there covering the Oakland A's your other daughter so she probably was there too right everybody got to be together I hope or well she was actually on a road uh, on a road trip. To Colorado that weekend, and her uh, Samantha's brother was in Texas. But you know they they were rooting from afar, and you know her brother, who's uh, you know we're we're so proud of him, and and he's doing great things as a, at a small market TV station. But he does he's he's an older guy, and he does what older brothers do. You know when Samantha has this act when she made All American, he said, "Don't worry, I'll keep her ego in check." So Friday night, after she scores two goals and assist in this overtime victory over over Arizona, her brother texts her and says, "Only two goals." 
So, uh, and I believe I'm, I'm not sure what uh, what the full exchange was, but it was a very loving interchange. And once you uh, once you get past the uh, the Big Brother sarcasm. All right, Wayne. As uh, we wrap up this interview, what are you working on now? What's the next big Wayne Coffee book? Well, I am actually. This is a pretty radical departure from anything I've done, but I'm collaborating with a fellow named Gary Ginsburg, and it is a, a really exciting endeavor about. Uh, presidential politics and not, not in the current, um, not the current issue, um, but the, and that would be, yeah, I'm not sure there are enough pages and, or words in the world to, to capture all of that, things that are going on, but the, uh, the book is called First Friends and it's about president, uh, presidents throughout history and, and, and the, their best friends, their friendships that have really, that kind of shaped their, their passage to the White House and, and even their performance and and their values and what they did in office. So it's it's everyone from Abraham Lincoln to uh, to Harry Truman to Barack Obama. So every we're not doing every president, but so it's it there. Let's say there have been books about first ladies and and first pets and first interior decorators. And I know a guy who was a, a chef in the White House and he did a book. So there have been first chefs. So now this is this is a book about first friends. And you know, I, I can't go to uh, uh, Equalizer Soccer or Top Drawer or Soccer America to you know to do my research. So I have to go elsewhere, like presidential libraries. But I found out that you know there are actually presidential libraries all over the country, and I'm, I'm trying to master the art of of hitting those libraries right around Penn State soccer games. So. It's a work in uh, progress, but we're getting there. Outstanding. Wayne Coffee. I guess the best way to, to wrap it up, kind of tying it all back together, particularly on Thanksgiving, is, you know, and you mentioned even this book you're writing about presidential friends. I mean, most of my friends are in the game of soccer, having been there in, you know, the late 80s with that group that you talked about, Mia and Brandy and Christine Lilly, and, and actually being introduced to the game through them. Uh, when I was still in college and to still be in it. Do you think about uh, what soccer's meant to you and your family, even writing that book with Carly Lloyd and now watching Sam? I guess the best way to end it, Wayne, is you got a lot to be thankful for, don't you? Oh my gosh. I mean I can't I cannot even tell you, Dean. And I and I had I had my own um kind of semi-feeble sports career. I played, as I like to tell people, I played uh, bad American soccer a bunch of years ago. It bore no relationship to what we're seeing now on the male or female level, but yeah, to be to be part of this sport and to see, again, as I've said, to see our daughter just pursue it with 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 such joy and such passion is just, it's just been an incredible privilege and and treat. I'm very thankful, and it's been great. And and I should tell you that I'm also thankful for we have like a hundred year old family stuffing recipe. So, you know, in another day or uh, you know before Thanksgiving Day is too far along, I'll be uh, I'll be rolling out that uh, that stuffing recipe. So if you if you need the if you need the lowdown on that, you want the ingredients, you know, I'll send it I'll send it your way. I'm not sure it's really gonna be appropriate for the podcast, but we start talking about sauteing onions and make sure you have fresh time. But um but you know, it's been uh, it's been great to be with you, Dean, and uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and thanks uh thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure. And remember folks, 
He's written a lot of great books, not just soccer books, but specifically for soccer when nobody was watching, the story of Carly Lloyd. And as you mentioned, he also wrote that children's book after the 1999 World Cup when Brandy Chastain hit that historic penalty kick. And now we're watching Sam Coffey right before our eyes turn into one of the best collegiate players. Next year, folks, she will be on the Mac Herman watch list. She could very well be in St. Louis as the Mac Herman Trophy winner if Penn State can once again get back and win a national championship like they did in 2015. Sam Coffey will be the key part of that as well. Wayne Coffey, I love that we know all these same people and writers and everything else, and I'm so glad that we were able to connect through the Penn State women's soccer team and your wonderful daughter. That interview was one of the best interviews I've had, and you've interviewed a lot of cool people. I can tell you me interviewing her was outstanding. I really enjoyed it, and then the connection to you, and away we go, Wayne. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your wonderful family. Thanks for being with us. I really appreciate getting to know you better, Wayne. Thanks again for the opportunity, Dean. All the best to you. And all the best to each and every one of you. I am back in the catbird seat on Sunday. That's right, Sunday, Sweet 16, NCAA Division One, Indiana, eight-time national champion, will host UC Santa Barbara. Indiana is led by last year's Big Ten Freshman of the Year and this year's Defender of the Year, Jack Mayer. Now's the time to advance your coaching career and register for a United Soccer Coaches Winter Residential Course. These courses will be held January 6th through the 10th in sunny Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Earn one of the five advanced diplomas offered this January and add to your coaching resume. Remember to register before December 6th to beat the price increase. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org for more information. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. I'm all amped up. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And on Sunday, I'll be back on the Big Ten Network as the Indiana Hoosiers, your eight-time national champs, are in the Sweet 16 yet again. It's a yearly ritual for this great program. And last year at this time, we had Andrew Gutman on the show. Of course, he went on to win the Mac Herman Trophy, and it was right before they played Air Force this year. We've got the Big Ten Freshman of the Year from a year ago, and this year's Big Ten Defender of the Year, a surefire All-American and just an all-around great person as well. The complete package, Jack Mayer, superstar defender for the Indiana Hoosiers. Jack, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for those kind words, Dean. I really appreciate it. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, Jim and Jenny, and your brothers, J.D., Joey, and Josh. First off, let's talk a little bit about that, because you got Jim, Jenny, Jack, J.D., Joey, and Josh. That's pretty awesome, right? Yeah, I mean, it was something that my my mom's side of the family actually did whenever my grandma and grandpa were naming all their kids. They stuck with the J's, and my mom wanted to continue that tradition going. So it gets, gets pretty confusing, but we love it. Yeah, we'll have to joke with your mom sometime and find out that in her dating pool, if, they, if, it, if your name didn't start with a J, if she just ruled them out. <laughs> Before you had Jim, you know. <laughs> Obviously, I'm just being silly, but I love the fact that uh, and all your brothers play too, right? So my oldest one does not. He, whenever he was really young, had two liver transplants actually, and was not able to play contact sports. But the three younger ones all have played from a really young age and are all involved. Or I was involved in the younger two are involved in St. Louis FC, the Youth Academy St. Louis in St. Louis. 
Well, before we get to Sunday's game, just talk about um, you and deciding to go to Indiana. What made you pick Indiana? So it was one of the things that my deciding factor was whenever I was able to meet Coach Yagley and meet the rest of my would-be teammates. I think that's the biggest thing that whenever you get to Indiana and fully understand the tradition, the legacy, and all the successful people that have come out of that program, you want to surround yourself with the best. And I know I did whenever I was wanting to make my decision, so no better place in Indiana. So you show up at Indiana, you've got this star-studded team led by the guy who went on to win the Mac Herman Trophy and literally 10 other guys that could have played pro. Most of them are playing pro. What made you know right away that you could fit in? And maybe, Jack, who was kind of your one veteran player that you kind of leaned on, formed a bond with coming in as a freshman? Really from day one, I just had this somewhat immediate bond with Frankie Moore. He ended up being our captain. He was someone that really took me under his wing, him along with Trevor Schwartz and Jeremiah Gutierrez. They are just incredible people. I came in the, um, I came into Indiana in the summer, and Trevor and Jerry were there, and from day one reached out to me. Were just so accepting of having new face, someone that can hopefully help their team. Um, they were incredible in just the whole leadership aspect of being able to take this young freshman that really hasn't lived alone and goes off to college, and eventually, um, I eventually would go on to help the team. Yeah, I'm going to remind everybody, as I do every broadcast, this is what Indiana lost from last year's team that made it to back-to-back college cups. So they lost Trey Muse, goalkeeper, Seattle, Andrew Gutman, signed by Celtic, now with FC Cincinnati on loan. Tim Mell, he was with North Carolina FC, Reese Buckmaster, got time with New York Red Bulls. Frankie Moore, who is a super smart guy, but he was drafted by Portland, could have played pro. Trevor Swartz was with Toronto. He decided to coach now at Sacramento State, where he's from. Corey Thomas was one of those that uh, I think could play pro if he wanted to. Austin Poncho was with North Carolina FC. Jeremiah Gutierrez started some games for Chicago Fire. Griffin Dorsey, Toronto FC, and Justin Rennings with New England, and also loaned out to North Carolina FC. That's 11 big-time players right there, Jack. So knowing that you lost all of those players to now be right back in the Sweet 16 to repeat the double back-to-back years. I mean, it's pretty hard to believe. It's hard to fathom what Indiana has done. I mean, obviously, Todd Yagley and Kevin Ropeson and Danny O'Rourke and Kristen Lamelli. I mean, what a staff, right? What a job they've done with this team, right? That's truly incredible. I think that whenever you're building a program, I mean, we say it at Indiana, we don't rebuild, we reload. And I was a little skeptical of that because it was my first year and having those guys that would end up being 11 could be pros at the next level that I didn't really know. Like, oh, Coach Roby would always say that these guys are going to be really good, talented freshmen, just like trust the process, trust the process. And once I saw them step foot day one, I was like, these guys can play. And I just think it really goes back to Coach Yagley, Coach Roby, on how good they are at not only recruiting the right talent, but the right people. They were, all these freshmen are so easy to talk to, people that have ambition, are ambitious, and have 
desires to play at the next level. And whenever you create an environment that really breeds these pros, I think that coach does such a good job at really getting these guys to the next level. And I just have all the confidence that coach knows what knows what he's doing and can get the job done. So there's three lists for Indiana as I think about it, particularly knowing that you're the only returning starter and a good one at that, though, the Big Ten Freshman of the Year and this year's Big Ten Defender of the Year. But the three layers are what I call the loyalists, the guys that have hung around waiting for their time. And obviously Spencer Glass had special moments last year, but now it's his team. You've got Joe Schmidt who had to wait a little bit, and you've got A.J. Palazzolo. They fit in along with Jordan Klein as guys that have been around the program, haven't played a ton, but have been ready to go. So let's start with them, just on those guys. You saw them wait last year. Now it's their turn, and all four of them have delivered in a big way. Yeah, they're incredible, not only players, but people. I think that it's tough to sit on the bench, especially whenever you're coming from high school and academy teams, that you're the best player on your team. And just the humility that they've had to take a step back and really reflect on what will help the team the most I think that goes a long way on behalf of what Coach has built here. He's created a winning culture and one that every player on the team respects exactly what he says, what he does, and knows that whatever he does is for the betterment of the team. And I think that A.J., Spence, Klein, all these guys that have had years of practicing redshirt workouts, all just difficult, difficult tasks. They've talked to this year's redshirt class and have really built them up. It's it's a difficult thing, but whenever you have guys like Frankie Moore, Tim Mell, like all of these guys from last year's team, Corey Thomas, that were so successful from being redshirted, they ended up helping us get to two of two of our very best years and one of the best teams that we've had in a really long time. So they can just reflect on those different guys just saying, like, we've done this and we've succeeded at it and it's helped the team. And I think that those guys taking a foot off the pedal for a second and just being able to observe and be in learning mode for that year it goes on instrumentally to help the team. Okay, so that's one layer. The next layer is something that usually happens every year. One or two guys come in, and it doesn't always work out because the culture at Indiana is so unique and so special that sometimes it's been hard for these transfers to come in and, you know, totally click. But Simon Waver had seen what Indiana had done for years because he was so good at Evansville against Indiana. And then, you know, Jaris Alinvi, those two guys have also been big, especially Waver, and now Alinvi looks like he's going to give you super minutes off the bench, but that's the second layer, and both those guys have been key, right? Absolutely, and they they felt, they really set the culture. That was something that whenever Roby was identifying and Daniel O'Rourke was identifying these players, that will they help us off the field build this culture? I think that's something that winning teams have had in the past. Whenever you look at the tradition of Indiana, you think of eight national championships. I was able to talk to Trey Katsalas' dad, Whitey, and he told me the most important thing that one of that winning teams have, especially in college soccer, is that strong team culture. I mean, look at Simon, look at Jarese. 
their play will speak for themselves. But off the field, these guys are leaders and just want what's best for the team. And I think that's truly incredible that we're able to find those guys off of FIU and Evansville. It's truly incredible. All right, now then the last phase is what you did last year. You came in as a freshman. You were ready to go. You hit the ground running. You were outstanding from the very first second. You've been outstanding to the very last second, right, right leading up to Sunday's game against UC Santa Barbara. And for sure, you guys have big-time freshmen in goal. Roman Celitano, he was the hero at the Big Ten Tournament. And then you've got Daniel Muni, who you played with at FC St. Louis. So now that tandem is in form. you got the Big Ten Freshman of the Year who looks like a pro. I mean, the guy is just a specimen. And Aiden Morris, you got Josh Penn playing at a high level. Herbert Enderley, you got Victor Bezzera, just had the hat trick. Maloon Goombali, Brett Beebe. I mean, this freshman class is out of this world. All those guys have made massive impacts on this incredible team this year, Jack. Yeah, they they really have. and. That's been the really core of our team whenever you look at it. We, right now, last game had seven freshman starters. That's, on most teams, that would be unheard of. But Coach Jagley identifies the best talent, and if you're the best player on the team, you you will get the deserved minutes. And that's just the, that's just what Coach has built, along with the fact that these freshmen are truly incredible, and they're always wanting to learn. That's the thing that has stood out to me the most, that regardless of the situation, Vic scoring a hat trick last game, the next day he's wanting to learn. He's wanting to get better, and he's leaning on some of these older guys that have had um, to take a step back and really learn from, like, Spencer Class. I mean, he's an incredible person, incredible player. He's what we believe is the best left foot in all of college soccer, but they've been able to learn from people like that, and they haven't really gotten so far into the media stuff that they truly are here to get better, to learn, and to help the team. And I think that really comes from the top down, and that's the culture that we've built here. You're hearing the voice of Jack Mayer, the Big Ten Defender of the Year as a sophomore, just a year after winning the Big Ten Freshman of the Year. I joked on the last broadcast that I love talking to Jack, although when I'm done I'm a little confused because I can't remember which one's the 50-year-old and which one is the, the sophomore because you carry yourself so well, Jack, and I mean that as the truest compliment. It's always a pleasure to, to talk to you indeed. So with that, you know, we had you against Kentucky on FS1. It was 0-0. Kentucky's got the beast in the back. He ended up getting hurt in that in this game. But I mean, you took care of Kentucky three nothing. A really good Kentucky team. I think that also says a lot about your coaching staff. Because you played them in the regular season, they beat you last year by that same score, and you can now say scoreboard three nothing. Right? Talk about how you guys played so well against Kentucky. Yeah, Kentucky was a great team. We knew that going into it, it would definitely be a battle from the first whistle to the last, and that's really what it was. I think that Kentucky with Ame Mbika in the back, he's an incredible player. I'm so sad that he ended up getting hurt in the game, but him along with Khalil Elmedkar, just players that have stood out game in and game out, regardless of who they played. From watching film, they always look like next-level players, and that's really what we were forced to deal with this game. And I felt like the team bought into the type of 
soccer that we were going to play, and everyone understood that defensively, if we could nick a pass, could get our toe on the end of one just to disrupt their rhythm, disrupt their play, and then build our own attacks from the back. I think that's something that we were able to do really well last game. And, I mean, Victor Bezerra, <laughs> if he can score three goals like that, it's going to be very difficult to beat Indiana. And he is just one of the many players that had such a good game. I think that Roman had a very good game. I feel like Daniel Meany and Jordan Klein, also in the back line, Simon, Spence, I could go up and down the field. Joe Schmidt, I think that that was one of his best games of the year. Needless to say, Aiden Morris is always going to be that type of player that can just make plays. And I think from the top down that it was really a team win and one that we're going to have to keep repeating if we were to win the big one. All right, so up next, UC Santa Barbara coming up on this program. I'll talk to Tim Bomsteed, the longtime coach for Santa Barbara. There's a lot of history with the Gauchos and Indiana. Both teams have had phenomenal success. No team's had more success than the Indiana Hoosiers, modern day anyway. Um, but you see Santa Barbara, they usually have a nice mixture of international players. They are known for getting big-time transfers to come in as well, and they are known for playing attractive soccer. They like to move the ball and attack and score goals. Talk about Sunday's matchup on the Big Ten Network. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one, definitely not one that we can overlook by any means. They are a well-coached team, very well-organized, and you talked about it. They like to play out of many different systems um, defensively that they have to, and I think that it's it's going to be a difficult game, one that it was impressive enough that they beat St. Mary's last Sunday 4-0. That's a very difficult result against any team in the tournament, but especially against St. Mary's, a team that has really lost one or two games in the last two years. So it's, it's definitely going to be a tough battle and one that our coaching staff will get us prepared for, but one that we look forward to the challenge. Talk about uh, Thanksgiving in Bloomington because Patrick Duty on the call and then even on social media, Ernie Yarborough and even Melanie Snyder, former SID, they all kind of get a kick out of it. It's kind of like um, Jerry Yagley talking about new recruits. is like getting Christmas presents, you know, and unwrapping them. You know, he was so excited about the Christmas present he got from St. Louis last year when Jack Mayer arrived. He kept talking about this young defender that's got this great mind and obviously all these great Christmas presents as well. But same sort of tradition around Thanksgiving in Bloomington. You guys in the Sweet 16, the Tudor Room, it's a pretty big deal, Jack. Tell, tell everybody what that means. Yeah, so every Thanksgiving, as long as we make it to the Sweet 16, which fortunately in the last few years we've been able to do so, is that we go to the Indiana University, um, Indiana Memorial Union at and they have a like a big festive like a rather a big festive occasion for Thanksgiving. They bring out ham, turkey, any food that you can imagine for Thanksgiving and it's it's special. Like it was one of the first things that we thought of after we won. Coach brought it up in the talk afterwards. We get to be here for Thanksgiving as a family. And I think that's the most special part about Indiana. And what's most special about Thanksgiving as a team is that you get to celebrate with your family. And that's, whenever it comes down to it, the most important part of what coaches built here from the top town, from 
big Coach Yeagley, the godfather, as you say so often, to Coach Yeagley right now and the generations to, to go. I think that this family and what Indiana soccer stands for and means goes so far, and this is just a special holiday that we're able to celebrate with each other. And I think you, as much as anybody, I can tell just based on your demeanor, you truly appreciate your elders. You were, you know, clearly raised right. I mean, you're just a solid citizen. Knowing that the Godfather is going to be there in Maryland, I mean, you think about that family. I mean, it really does start with the Godfather and his wife, and it extends all the way through, right? And it really shines bright during these times because he'll be there too, right, with all of you guys. Absolutely, absolutely. Just like in my family Thanksgiving, the my grandpa leads leads most of the talks, leads most of the um, prayers and stuff like that, and Coach Jerry Yeagley will do the same. I love it. I love it. Hey, what do you think? The bazooka from Bazaar, that might stick, huh? The guy's got a bazooka, think, doesn't he? I think that'll stick for sure. All right. Jack Mayer, good luck on Sunday. I'll be on the call with Patrick Duty, former left back for Indiana. It'll be 12 o'clock, Big Ten Network, Indiana, UC Santa Barbara, for another visit to the Elite Eight. Jack Mayer, you're an outstanding player, even better person, which makes a pretty good combination. Thanks so much for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, Jack. Thank you so much, Dean. Really appreciate it. What a fantastic kid. Just a fantastic young man and an outstanding soccer player, but as I've said so many times, an even better person, quality. Tim Von Steeg, 20 years at UCSB, 20 years. Like Sasso Sarosky, he's an innovator. He has been a big promoter of the college soccer game. Santa Barbara was the host last year when Indiana was in the College Cup. They will host again next year. Team Snap's awesome. I have five teams on Team Snap. There are no questions asked by the players, the parents. Very easy to use. Very, very, very easy. Simple to use. Everyone, you know, everything's right there. Messages, availability, boom, boom, boom. I've looked at other at other things, and I think Team Snap sets the bar for this type of team management software. It's the best that I found. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap. As you've heard me say now five times on this podcast, I'm so pumped up for Sunday on the Big Ten Network, 12 noon Eastern Time. UC Santa Barbara and Indiana go toe to toe in the Sweet 16. Two great programs with great histories. And, of course, UC Santa Barbara, one of the most innovative coaches. He has been pushing college soccer, trying to get him on the proper platform forever. He very much reminds me of Sasso Sarosky. It's like, you know, the Snoop Dogg. It's Snoop Dogg's counterpoint uh, in the rap business as well. Tim Bob Sieg, 20 amazing seasons as the top man at UC Santa Barbara, where he played by the way, from 85 to 88, graduated in 89. Tim's got four boys, Justin Carson and twins Caden and Jared. And, of course, uh, he's legendary in Santa Barbara. He's taking a show to Indiana on Sunday, and you can catch that call on the Big Ten Network. And, Tim, I've known you forever because you've always been about college soccer. You've been about promoting college soccer. You've been about hosting the College Cup. You've been about getting your team on television. You'll be on TV on Sunday in a big game, chance to get back to the Elite Eight. And, Tim, it's great to have you on the program. 
Well, I appreciate it, Dane. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so let's first talk about uh, this season, your 20th at UC Santa Barbara. You got a nice little team. There's tons of men's college soccer teams, but guess what, Tim? We're down to 16, and your team's one of them. Yeah, it's, uh, again, this has been uh, one of the more challenging seasons when it wasn't really supposed to be. Um, I, I had a unique situation of basically 11 seniors and I was returning 10 of my 11 starters and so we we were poised for a great year and uh and then on top of that I put together what I thought was probably the hardest schedule I've I've done um just because I thought this was the right group and of course it doesn't hurt when the RPI comes out at the end and seedings and all that so a lot went into this year and uh we we started out uh you know with with a series of injuries uh which which started with my son who transferred in from Stanford a year ago and uh he actually tore his ACL uh in the spring so that was that was a, a real hit for us coming into the season uh but we readjusted obviously we had a little bit of time to make some changes one of the I mean obviously you hate to lose a really good player especially when it's your son uh, but we did have some time to make some adjustments, and so we went into the season, and then literally I got an announcement from the New Zealand national team that said, uh, congratulations, uh, we need your two captains to represent New Zealand in our efforts to qualify for the Olympics in China, and I went, oh, this is great. Of course, it's during the fall, and uh, they'll be gone for a 30-year season, so uh, that was a hit. <laughs> And then uh, the first practice, the first game that we had against Vegas, uh, I ended up losing my other two defenders to injury. And um, so after literally two games into our season, I had to play up with a whole new back line uh, for about a third of the season. So what started out as the dream team uh, with every all the pieces and everything being put in, literally I went to play Berkeley uh, three games into the season with a whole new back line and promptly lost the game 3-0, and we were pretty terrible. Um, and then we just had the battle, you know, and, and that's been the story. Uh, the, the reason why I feel great about where we are right now is it's taken me about 17, 18 games, but I've got everybody back. Um, and that's when I said if I could ever get everybody back, um, I think we're going to be really, really good. I didn't realize it would take me, you know, three-fourths of our season to get everybody back. And uh, we played Berkeley, which is a little bit of a rematch for us. And we played them with our players, and I thought we really dominated the game. Um, and then, of course, uh, in the middle of the second half, my starting defensive midfielder, one of the few players that played every minute all season, uh, he tore his ACL. Um, so I lost him. Um, but it's been that kind of year for us. Uh, so when I look at our schedule and I look at our record, um, I, I really couldn't be prouder of this group, um, and I do think we're battle-tested, and uh, I thought what we did at St. Mary's was something that, um, you know, we saw signs of during the year. We just didn't have all the pieces at the same time. 4 nothing against St. Mary's, which never loses any games, let alone 4 nothing. What do you attribute that to? That's an impressive result. That's like a 52 to nothing football score. Yeah, listen, it was exciting for us. Um, I have to tell you, um, we um, – you're right about St. Mary's. I mean, it's a good team. They don't lose games. Uh, they're, they're a really, really good team. And, and uh, to do it at their place. Um, but what I attribute to was, again, I, I, I literally had my team back together. Um, and we started, uh, you know, the pieces that we had originally all came in. And 
and on one afternoon we, we played really hard, we competed, and, and as I said, we are a very, very dangerous team. Um, it's a team that had lots of promise, and, and as I said, I, I think our season's gone great, but when you look at times during the year, like when we played Stanford and then had to turn around and play San Diego, I mean, we were missing three to five starters for about two-thirds of the season. So, um, you know, against St. Mary's, uh, like I said, we had everybody back on the field, and, uh, uh, and, and it was great, it was fun, um, and it was one of the more enjoyable soccer experiences because, like, like you said, it's unusual to get any goals against St. Mary's, much less put up four on them. Now, when you say everybody back, that's everybody but your son, though, right? He's had to sit out the entire season, correct? Correct. Okay. Correct. He's been out, and uh, the, the irony of it is that uh, the doctor asked him about three weeks ago if he wanted to play this year because he, his recovery's gone really well. Uh, he and I talked about it, and, and we just don't feel right about it. Um, I just I don't I don't trust it, um, and, and I, I just don't think it's the right mindset. It's funny he he played uh, about ten minutes in the final when he was playing with Stanford two years ago. So I said, well, worst case, we make it to the final. I'll put you on the field for 10 minutes. That way you can say you played in the two finals uh, in two out of three years. So that is an inside joke there. But, uh, uh, yeah, we're, we've decided that uh, we're not going to uh, – it's just not worth the risk, to be honest with you. All right. Remind me what position he plays. Well, he's uh, he's a center back. Uh, but for uh, in college soccer, he plays a lot in midfield. Um, you know, at the next level, he would be a center back. Uh, it's a position he played with the national team, the youth national team, and he's like I said, he's very, very good. Um, but um, we again, we we have such a deep team. I mean, the other thing about it is when you have eleven seniors, um, it's uh, it's a situation where I survived the year by losing lots of the injuries and the call ups to the New Zealand national team because every single time I had to bring in a new player, I was bringing in a four year player. Um, you know, in other years, when you start to lose four or five players and you have to bring in freshmen, your season can blow up really fast. But because I had these seniors, I kept dropping another senior in. And, you know, it's, it's 22 years old, it's experience, it's knowing the system, and they were able to just keep us going. Um, and now we're in a position where I also think, I mean, I'm able to run 16, 17, even 18 players in a game because almost all those players have had lots of minutes during the year. Um, so, again, it's a good group right now. I mean, we're obviously with the two results. Berkeley's a good team. Um, St. Mary's is a good team. And, of course, everybody else that you face from here on out, um, Indiana, you know, pick your team. Uh, at this point, as you know, everybody's good. 20 seasons, Tim, at your alma mater, Santa Barbara, which, you know, you can say Santa Barbara anywhere in the world, and people like go, ooh, yeah, that's nice. You know, it's Thanksgiving, right? I mean, how thankful are you for where you are? Because, I mean, Tim, as I said earlier, you're an innovator for the game, but you get to be that innovator and a guy who's pushing the game in a place that you love, that a place that everybody loves. How cool is that? Well, it's it's uh, it's one of those situations where um, along the way, you know, you might have some opportunities to go somewhere else, or you know, sometimes you you. Uh, you, you have a successful season, and you go, well, let me consider this or maybe look around, and, and I'm telling you, it's hard. It's really hard to even think about leaving. Uh, it's also a place that we really built something really special, and uh, our facility, obviously, we're, we're hosting the national championship again next year. Uh, the facility is incredible. Um, we have a community, as you said, that supports the sport, and so it, it is hard to leave, and, 
and it's also a place that's hard to leave because it's a great place to raise kids. And uh, all four of our boys have enjoyed, um, you know, great success. Justin is is down with LA Galaxy right now, and uh, Carson, I'm sure, will get his opportunity in the next year or so. And and then the twins, you know, um, I mean, I don't want to break recruiting things, but you know, they've expressed an interest potentially of also playing and at UCSB. So, um, you know, again, it's it's uh, it's a great place, and and. Um, and you're right, it, it is hard to leave uh, the, the, the quality of life. Um, and, and it, listen, it's Southern California, and the soccer is great out here. Um, so I think you put all those together, it is, it is hard to leave. We're here with Tim Bomsky. I always enjoyed calling games at UCSBU, and they threw the tortillas onto the field, and, and uh, just a great atmosphere. Some big-time games we called during the then-named NSTA Game of the Week on Fox Soccer, and you were always so welcoming and the Athletic director, everybody, Tim, it's great. So it's good to see you take your show on the road and be on the Big Ten Network. Remind us, UCSB, Indiana, i got to believe there's been some epic battles over the years. You know, maybe not a ton, but uh, do you recall any big-time games against Indiana over the years, Coach? Yeah, I mean, there really has been. Um, I think I think when we were, you know, heading back from the bus, uh, you know, from uh, up for playing St. Mary's, uh, the, 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 the one that jumps at us, of course, was, uh, in 2004, uh, we faced off against an Indiana team, uh, and it was at the New Mexico tournament. I was coming into that game with, and again, you can correct me, everybody can look it up, but it was about a 20, about a 26 game win streak. Uh, they were coming off of, you know, winning the national championship. They hadn't lost. Uh, they had just an absolutely terrific team, and we faced them down in New Mexico, and uh, we we beat them 1-0 with an overtime goal. Uh, we played a majority of the second half uh, down a man, and so that was my 0-4 team that, to be honest, was scrappers. They fought. Uh, we led the country in yellows. I mean, it was just a senior-led team. To be honest with you, it reminds me a little bit of this group uh, in terms of just the senior leadership. And so after the game ended, Indiana had some choice words for us and didn't really care for us too much. And, of course, they were upset that we ended their losing streak. Uh, I don't think they thought that we would face them in the final that year. So you can fast forward that season about two and a half months later, and we're down at uh, StubHub Center, which is now here in Los Angeles, at the Galaxy play. And uh, here we are facing off the national champ, uh, a game that I thought was a, was a tremendous game. Uh, we ended up losing in penalty kicks. Uh, but uh, those two games were, uh, were really memorable for us. Um, I, I would say also, speaking of Fox and the games that you might have called, uh, another game that jumps at me is the game that Indiana came and played. Uh, it was a Will Bruin team-led team. And yeah, Indiana came to Santa Barbara. And uh, Michael David scored uh, the scoop goal. Uh, by the way, I spoke to him today. He called me and reminded me of his goal. But uh, we, he scored, and we, and we beat Indiana 3-0. And uh, it was one of the more memorable nights at Harder Stadium. We had a really large crowd that night. and It was on TV across the country, and we played great. And uh, Anytime you beat Indiana, is a great game. But to beat them 3-0 was even more uh, memorable. So those are a couple of games. I'm sure Indiana has no memories of when they beat us, but I don't remember those that well. 
<laughs> Fair enough, Tim. I, I like that. You, at least you say it with a with an honest smile on your face. I appreciate that. What uh, what's got to go right for your team to win at Yagley Field? A tough place to win. They have been really good. They haven't lost a game there in several years, Coach. Yeah, and I think that fact right there excites this group. Again, this group reminds me of the kind of team that I had in '04. As I said, uh, it's a senior group. It's a group that's battle tested. Um, we went from a team a year ago. It was it was really a concerted effort for us. But this is a group that uh, could not find a way to win a game on the road a year ago. Uh, we were one six and one and scored two goals, I think, on the road. And we made it uh, a centerpiece of all of our conversations, talking about going into this year that you know we had to be a road team that we had to learn from. You know, I don't know. We, we literally we lost five games one zero a year ago, and so that was again that was a point of emphasis for us. So proud of this group because uh, we turned that completely around. Uh, like we went up to Oregon State, we're down two one with 15 minutes left, and find a way to win three two. Um, you know, we, we went up again to, to a place like, you know, San Diego was a top 15, top 20 team. We played them after Stanford, and we're down in that game, and we battled back to tie that game. So, so we took this thing on the road, and we did well, and we competed. And, uh, and again, um, as you mentioned, as, men, as much as Indiana's won at their place, St. Mary's has the same kind of record. Uh, and uh, so uh, to answer your question, I... I, I think that the mentality is the biggest part about playing at Indiana. You know, you show up to that, you know, stadium, the, the field, and you see the championships and the banners and the history of the program, and, and you have to look past that and, uh, and, and figure you're as good as this team and you can win this game, and this group has that. Um, so we're not going to be intimidated, uh, but I think that's the first thing that happens when I think teams travel uh, to play at Indiana um, you know, with that record and their success and, and everything they've done, uh, you have to get past all that and uh, think about the game. When you think about the name Yagley, what does it mean to you as somebody who has, um, I think, respected the history of the game? Well, I've got the Jerry Yagley story that jumps at me. And by the way, I, I, I got to see everybody last year, you know, uh, at the Santa Barbara and got around their team a little bit. And a little disappointed. I thought they played really well in Maryland in the semifinal last year. I thought they were a little unlucky not to make it through. Um, but, uh, no, what jumps at me was actually going back to the first time we ever played Indiana, and that was uh, Indiana came out and played in a tournament out of Fullerton. Uh, I think it was my second year at UCSB. And, uh, again, we were a program that was, um, I mean, when I took over the program, we were 2-17 and 17 and had no reputation. And, and the fact that uh, Indiana and Yagley was willing to play us, uh, he didn't care who he played or where he played or where the game was. Uh, what always stood out was the fact that he, I thought he set the precedent for everybody by, by literally picking hard places to play to get his guys ready. And, uh, unfortunately, I think it's a model that, you know, for a lot of reasons coaches have gone away from. Um, but I always respected the fact that, you know, he, he not only gave us a chance to play against the team that, you know, at that point I think they'd won six national championships. Uh, when we weren't very good, uh, but he was also willing to take his team and play him anywhere, and uh, and I think that's great for college soccer. Uh, and I think uh, he was the ultimate ambassador for the game. Uh, and again, I remember that as being a very young coach. How much respect I had for him um, that he would take his team anywhere and play a team like us 
um, that, you know, again, when you play a team like, you know, at that point, somebody who doesn't have a reputation, you're, you're taking all the risk. And uh, he was willing to do it. I know that uh, in this era, you've been on national TV. I know that uh, when you play Pac-12 teams, you've been on the Pac-12 network. But what does it mean for this senior-laden team to be on a national stage on the Big Ten network in the Sweet 16? I think it's where this team needs to be. You know, I think they belong there. Um, I think uh, it's taken a while for us to put together a senior group of players. Uh, we've, we've suffered, like a lot of other programs, with early departures, and you go out and you think you've got a top ten recruiting class only to find out that the top two guys that are committed might have decided not to go to college. So we've, we've you know, we've struggled with that over the past couple of years. Uh, we've had to change a little bit of how we recruit and who we're bringing in because ultimately – I think the best teams, you know, whether it's soccer or basketball or, you know, football, it's, it's your, it's your older teams. It's your mature teams. Uh, it's the only chance that you have to go win at St. Mary's or, or, or win at Indiana is, is to have a team that, that, you know, can, can basically take the pressure and understand the moment, uh, not get overwhelmed by it. Um, so again, I think it's deserving of this group to be where it's at and, and we're excited because I think, Ultimately, it's going to be a great game. It'll be a great game for you guys to call. We've played in some great games this year already. Uh, the game against Stanford that we had at our place was an amazing soccer game. And I'm thinking the same thing is going to happen on Sunday. Can't wait. Always great to have a Tim Bomb Steak team on national television. They always play the game so attractive. They push. They try to score goals as they scored seven in their first two NCAA tournament games, which is amazing. Last question for you, Tim, as uh, we release uh-huh. this. On Thanksgiving, what are you most thankful for as uh, you roll into this weekend and you celebrate 20 great years at UCSB? Look, I'm always grateful for the support I've had over all these years of my family. My wife, as you know, as we all know, it's uh, you know she's been there every step of the way. Um, and as a coach, you know, there's a lot of ups, there's a lot of downs. Um, you know, there's as, as high as it goes in terms of winning. Um, it listen, it's it's kind of lonely when you. When you lose your best player, maybe you don't have the season you want to have and expectations, you know, weren't met. So, no, I'm very grateful for uh, my family, my wife, and the support she's given. And, of course, my kids are, you know, really supportive, great kids. And and uh, ultimately, you know, Thanksgiving is about family, and that's, you know, certainly what I'm most thankful for. So well said. We can't wait to see you and your team Sunday, 12 o'clock, Big Ten Network, Sweet 16, Indiana, UCSB, UCSB led for 20 seasons by Tim Baumstead. Tim, thanks for being part of our Thanksgiving edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Uh, no problem. Appreciate you having me. I want to thank Tim Baumstead and all of our guests, Amanda Mitchell, Development Officer for United Soccer Coaches, the great author Wayne Coffey, whose daughter Sam is a star for the Penn State women's soccer team, and, of course, Jack Mayer, All-American soccer player for Indiana and this year's Big Ten Defender of the Year. It'll be Indiana UCSB Sunday, 12 noon, on the Big Ten Network. also want to thank Michael Knipper, Sean Chevrolet, Lynn Burley-Manuel, and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches. For me, I'm thankful for each and every one of them and each and every one of you, our members of United Soccer Coaches.